The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to the week 9 edition of Falato on Football here on Big Blue View Radio. Glad that you are tuned in to join me to Listen to me, I guess, pontificate about the Week 9 slate of the National Football League. We will briefly go through all these games, but how about the New York Giants, ladies and gentlemen, getting a win 23-20 against the Washington football team. This is the fourth win of Daniel Jones' career against this specific franchise, which is insane because he doesn't have many more wins than that. But he was able to look better than he did in the Monday night game against Tampa Bay, where, let's be honest, let's call a spade a spade. The Giants lost that game because of Daniel Jones's play, which is something that we're not used to seeing from this young quarterback. Yes, he is somewhat careless with the football, and he kind of gives turnovers away way too easily, but he hasn't been the cause of this team losing solely, and it was that case in Monday Night Football. But in this game, he was able to throw for 221 yards, a touchdown, didn't have to do all that much. The Giants' defense was opportunistic, forcing five Washington turnovers, two on the final two drives, I guess you could say, where Washington was trying to lead their team to either field goal range or to possibly score a touchdown and take the lead. Alex Smith, who went in there because Kyle Allen ended up getting hurt on the Jabril Pepper sack, Alex Smith overthrew J.D. McKissick. It was an interception by Jabril Peppers, and then when the Giants had to punt it back, he then threw it right to Logan Ryan, who was just basically baiting him in what looked like some sort of zone coverage. But the Giants just possessed the ball. They were very methodical, driving down the field, rushing the football, quick passes, get the football out of Daniel Jones's hands. It was a really good game plan by Jason Garrett and this Giants offensive staff. They got Austin Mack involved, and I would say Daniel Jones' probably best throw of the game was a deep pass to Austin Mack down the sideline. And the Giants were able to pick up 350 yards of offense. Washington ended up picking up 402 yards, but it was a little bit too little, a little bit too late, and the Giants' defense was a little bit bend, don't break, and did not allow Washington to do what the Giants' defense has kind of allowed to happen all year, which is team is trailing, they lead down the field, and then they score. I shouldn't say all year, though, because it was really just Dallas, and it was Eagles, but it was really, really recent in our minds. And the Giants have been really, really competitive this entire year against some good football teams. Washington is not a good football team, but they're able to go to their building, secure this win, which is awesome, which is great. Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris both looked really good on the ground. I can't wait to get to the All-22 to kind of see what exactly happened with the run-blocking from the New York Giants because they were able to dominate the line of scrimmage. And this Washington football team has a very, very good front. 
Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, who got dinged up in the game, but it wasn't until later in the game. Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan when he's out there, even though he's more known for his pass rushing ability. Giants, man, able to run this football. Evan Ingram was involved quite frequently in this game. 10 targets, caught five of them, 48 yards, had his first touchdown catch of the season, which was a really nice catch by him it's one of those balls that you kind of think he ends up dropping because it's a little bit out of his reach but it's a catchable pass from daniel jones but he's able to secure it on the way down bring it into his body so it doesn't hit the ground so really really good on evan ingram who also had two really bad drops one almost resulted into an interception by daniel jones the giants did not turn the ball over in this game which a lot of people streamed washington's defense and they would have been upset yes they got five sacks on daniel jones but they didn't come up with the fumbles or the interceptions. Two things that have kind of plagued the Giant. And as for rushing the ball for Washington, they couldn't get anything going against this stout front of Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, and Leonard Williams. Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick only rushed the ball nine times in this game. The Giants also jumped out to a small lead score the first 10 points of this game. And then Washington kicked a field goal, and the Giants came out, and they scored another 10 points, Washington scored a touchdown. It was kind of slow, but Washington battled back hard in the fourth quarter, scoring 10 points. Alex Smith started finding a groove, found Terry McLaurin on a broken play where Isaac Yidem tried to go for the tackle, didn't necessarily work, and Terry McLaurin was able to take what looked like would have been an intermediate gain, a modest gain, for 68 yards and a touchdown. McLaurin caught seven of his eight targets for 115 yards and that tutty. J.D. McKissick had 14 targets. He was Alex Smith's favorite checkdown option. Just kept checking the ball down to J.D. McKissick, who had 9 for 65 in this game. I'm proud of this Giants offense in the sense that they were able to look good run blocking again. I know Will Hernandez isn't there, and that's posing a lot of questions. Oh, well, is it because of Will Hernandez that they're looking better? I didn't necessarily get that sense last week while watching the tape of the Buccaneers game. We'll see this week. See if Shane Lemieux got a little bit better. I know the Giants did a lot of unique stuff with their offensive linemen. They were playing Parrott at left tackle. They were playing him at right tackle for Cam Fleming. They would put Chad Slade in there for Shane Lemieux. They were really jumbling up their offensive blocking personnel to kind of see what worked best. But they were able to establish the line of scrimmage. Establish physicality against a very physical team. You know their coach that way from Ron Rivera. And you know that personnel is very physical too. They're able to go into a hostile environment, even though it doesn't have fans, get a win. So chalk that up for the second win. Now the Giants are, what, a game and a half out of first place in this division, which is very, very sad because the Giants' best record they can have is 9-7 and seven this year. Anyways, that's the New York Giant football. Celebrate a win. We don't get them too often. Let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens in the Indianapolis Colts, where Baltimore's defense... Get a defensive touchdown in this game. They win this game, Baltimore, 24-10. to The Ravens' offense continues to look gross. Lamar Jackson only threw for 170 yards. It wasn't the Marquise Brown breakout game. Everyone thought the squeaky wheel was going to get the grease. Brown got five targets, caught three for 38. There was no passing touchdowns. Lamar Jackson had a rushing touchdown. Gus Edwards had a rushing touchdown. And the Ravens' offense continues to be pretty depressing to watch especially when you think about what they were last year looks like defensive coordinators have the book on Lamar Jackson how to defeat Lamar Jackson reminiscent to a lot of other mobile quarterbacks that have come through the NFL RG3 Colin Kaepernick and players like that so now it's on Lamar Jackson to adjust it's on this 
Ravens coaching staff, Greg Roman, to adjust and put Lamar into a really good position so he can kind of break out of this funk that he's been in all season. Yes, your legs are still working on the ground, but you have to be able to throw outside the numbers in order to come back. And the Ravens won this game on the road against a solid opponent, but Phillip Rivers isn't it. He threw for 227 yards on 43 attempts. It's a 5.3 average. Threw a pick. The Ravens came up with a defensive touchdown to help them out. Indianapolis couldn't really get anything going on the ground. Jonathan Taylor was 6 for 27, which is fine, but they're continuing to split the carries with Jordan Wilkins, Naheem Hines, DeMichael Harris got in on this one. And Taylor got a touchdown in the first quarter. Looked like it was going to be a great game, but it just continues to be a letdown from a fantasy perspective. Now, in terms of the Colts, this is their first home loss. Phillip Rivers, it's very obvious he can't push the ball vertically. They even put Jacoby Brissett in to end the half, which is something that we've seen Frank Reich do in the past with Jacoby Brissett because he has a much bigger arm than Phillip Rivers and some of the other quarterbacks outside of Andrew Luck that the Colts have had in the past. Not too worried about the Colts. I think they could be a playoff team, but with Phillip Rivers as your quarterback, your ceiling is severely capped. You can methodically push the ball down the field in the short to intermediate range and try to use Naheem Hines or Jordan Wilkins out of the backfield, but you're not going to be able to maximize the weapons of Michael Pittman or T.Y. Hilton when he comes back. He did not play in this game. So you're severely handicapped when you have someone like Phillip Rivers back there. And I'm pretty sure everybody in the Colts building is aware of that. Next year, they'll definitely be looking for Someone younger, someone who can play that position at a much higher level. Speaking of quarterbacks that can play the position at a high level, the Seahawks and the Bills. Now, Russell Wilson struggled in this game. Again, this was a West Coast game. Traveling to the East Coast for a 1 o'clock start. The West Coast team, I should say. So the 1 o'clock start in Seattle lost this game 44-34 to in an offensive shootout. Josh Allen, 415 yards, passing 31 for 38, which is insane for three touchdowns. He was sacked seven times by that front. Both Josh Allen and Zach Moss had a touchdown on the ground. And then as for targets, John Brown, 11. Steph Diggs, 12. Steph Diggs caught 9 for 118. John Brown, 8 for 99. Gabriel Davis got a touchdown. Isaiah McKenzie got a touchdown. Tyler Croft got a touchdown. Buffalo was clicking on all cylinders and went in the halftime up 24-10. to 10. But then Seattle in the second half, as these teams who do travel from the west to east for 1 o'clock starts tend to do sometimes, they get hotter in the second half. And that's what happened. They scored 24 points in the second half, but it wasn't enough, especially because the Buffalo Bills scored 20 points in the second half. And Russell Wilson... 390 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions, was sacked five times, couldn't get much going on the ground. DJ Dallas ended up having a touchdown on the ground, as did Russ on a quarterback sneak, but they couldn't establish the run, and it was kind of hard for them to do that since they were down 14 points early in this game. It was just the DK Metcalf show, nine targets, seven for 108. Tyler Lockett had seven, four for 40. David Moore, six, four for 71 and one. Then Jacob Hollister, 7 targets, 5 for 60. Buffalo continues to struggle against tight ends. Greg Olson even had two catches for 13 yards after being goose-egged last week. This was one of the more exciting games on the slate. It was a high-scoring slate, especially compared to last week and the week prior. Both these teams eclipsed 400 yards, 419 and 420 for Seattle and Buffalo. 
respectively. And now Seattle drops to six and two, while Buffalo continues to kind of own the AFC East at seven and two. Although another AFC East team came away with a huge win, we'll get into a little bit later. We have the Texans and the Jaguars here, much closer game than a lot of us expected. Jake Luton came out here and was slinging the ball. The Texans win this game twenty-seven to twenty-five, but Jake Luton on his second pass of the game throws a 73-yard touchdown pass to DJ Chark, who finished the game with 12 targets, so he start, continues to get these double-digit targets, 7 for 146 and 1 for DJ Chark. And Luton was relying on him all game. Chris Conley, 8 targets, 7 for 52. Tyler Eifert, 5 targets, 4 for 48. And we know Jay Gruden was going to continue to rely on the run, and they did. 25 carries to James Robinson. For 99 yards, one touchdown, Jake Luton also had a touchdown where he spun into the end zone looking like he hit whatever it is, square or circle, whatever it is that spin and Madden these days, right on into the end zone looking athletic. Kid was throwing the ball pretty solidly against this Houston pass defense that was without Bradley Roby, but that's kind of the key word. The Houston defense is not good in general. Without Bradley Roby, they're even worse. Deshaun Watson had two touchdowns in this game, 281 yards. One touchdown was to Brandon Cooks, who finished 3-for-83. That was on their first drive, I believe, of the game. It was really, really early on. And then the second one was to Will Fuller. But the interesting thing about that, Will Fuller finished with five targets, 5-for-100. But the interesting thing about the play to Will Fuller was the play was should not have ever happened because the play clock was on zero for probably about two full seconds, maybe even three. It was a long two seconds. And the refs, for whatever reason, still let the play go off. And Will Fuller housed a 77-yard pass, 4-6. And Doug Monroe went crazy. And he had every right to because it was egregious. And again, so again, the refs continue to be atrocious this season. They had a bunch of weird calls, just pass interference calls that were really, really ticky-tacky going against the defense. A couple roughing the passer calls that were highly questionable. And it just it sucks to see, but it's been trending that way for quite a while. And this slate I felt like there was a couple more of those that would really eat me if it was happening against the Giants David Johnson got hurt in this game with a concussion finished two for 16 Duke Johnson came in had 41 yards on 16 carries ended up finding the end zone as well this was a good divisional battle between two teams that are not good who are vying for top 10 picks and for Houston it's even worse because they don't even own their first round pick it's going to the Dolphins, so they want to win as much as possible. Talk about that Larry Tunsil trade. Woo! Dolphins are going to be making out for that one, man. But the Texans win 27-25, go to 2-6, and six, and Jacksonville is 1-7. and seven. In this game, also, LaVisca Chenault came down with an injury early on, and he finished with one catch for a negative one yard on that one target and left the game, which is unfortunate because he's an incredibly exciting young rookie, and I'm sure he was in Doug Marone's game plans coming out of the bye week. They probably had a lot of plays designed for him with Jake Luton. Did not happen bears and the titans this game was gross early on chicago was losing this game 17 nothing and they were able to score 17 points in the fourth quarter fortunately for chicago tennessee was able to score seven in the fourth quarter so the bears lost this game 24 17 ryan Tannehill threw for two touchdowns didn't have to throw too much through 10 completions on 21 attempts for 158 yards aj brown had over 100 yards receiving Jonu Smith had 32 yards receiving on two catches, kind of consecutively on the same drive. One was a 30-yard gain, and then he got a goal line touchdown as well. 
And that was basically the entire passing attack of the Tennessee Titans. Anthony Ferguson had three for 19, and then Cameron Batson had one for six. Corey Davis had three targets, zero catches. So you got goose-egged if you started Corey Davis. And Derrick Henry couldn't get much going on the ground. 21 carries for 68 yards. Deonta Foreman, five for 11. Jeremy McNichols, two for 10. Chicago Bears defense is real, but they dropped three in a row now. And Tennessee needed this win because they dropped two in a row before this game. And you look at the Chicago Bears side of this. Nick Foles threw for 335 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions through the ball over 52 times because game script went away from them. David Montgomery had 14 carries for 30 yards. Couldn't do anything with it because he's incredibly inefficient. You had guys like Ryan Nall getting in there and scoring touchdowns because David Montgomery got dinged up a little bit. Ryan Nall had four catches for 35 yards and a touchdown. Allen Robinson, 7 for 81 on 9 targets. Anthony Miller, 5 for 59 on 8. Jimmy Graham, 6 for 55 and 1 touchdown on 6 targets. Caught all 6 of them, which is good because last week he was targeted 7 times. Caught 2 of them. The Chicago Bears aren't a great football team. They're 5 and 4. They were at the top of the division with the Green Bay Packers, but they've dropped the last 3. They lost to the Rams in primetime. Lost to the Saints last week. Just lost to the Titans. Then they get the Vikings, and they got to go to the Packers for another primetime game, Sunday Night Football. And then you, then they have the Lions, and then they have the Texans. So they have a couple winnable games, but that offense is always going to hurt this team. Their quarterback is Nick Foles. Let's be honest here. It's not great. It's not ideal whatsoever. Mitch Trubisky's dealing with an injury right now, but he's obviously not great either. That's why you're in this predicament right now. And they had a shot at Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. They didn't do it. It's incredible to think about, but there's there's no use in crying over that. And as for the Tennessee Titans, they needed a win. They got it at home against a team that is a lot of good players, that foundation's built, but they don't have the most important part, and that's the quarterback position. But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. In what was probably the most exciting game on the slate, the Carolina Panthers fall short of upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. Panthers 31, Chiefs 33. Chiefs ascend to 8-1 and one while the Panthers fall to 3-6. and six. But Christian McCaffrey returned to the lineup. And what do you know? He's great. He had over 30 fantasy points in half-point PPR leagues. 18 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown. 10 catches on 10 targets for 82 yards and a touchdown. And was everywhere. And then Curtis Samuel was also playing phenomenally. He got three carries in his game for 13 yards and nine catches for 105 yards on nine targets. Teddy was slinging in this game, 36 of 49 for 310 yards, two touchdowns, picked up a lot of first downs with his legs as well, had 19 yards rushing, one of them being a touchdown. And Carolina kind of imposed their will on Kansas City, put Kansas City's backs against the wall, and Kansas City just the cream rose to the top, and they were able to win this game. Clyde Edwards-Alaire ended up having a receiving touchdown. Tyreek Hill had two receiving touchdowns. Demarcus Robinson had a receiving touchdown. Travis Kelsey had 12 targets, 10 for 159. Tyreek Hill had 18 targets in this game, and that's what happens when you kind of press Kansas City and they're playing from behind. It's just throw the ball to Travis Kelsey, throw the ball to Tyreek Hill, and they're going to dominate you. And the middle of the field is always open for Travis Kelsey because you have Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman and Demarcus Robinson stretching the field consistently. Kansas City Chiefs, for the second week in a row, barely ran the football. Le'Veon Bell had four carries for eight yards. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had five for 14. They're just throwing the ball. They're trusting Pat Mahomes. They have an MVP guy back there. They have one of the best football players in the world right now back there. 
throw the ball to some of the other best football players in the world back there. That's Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, fast guys like Miko Hartman. And that's what Kansas City did. They were able to overcome Carolina, get this win, and prevail 8-1. And, and they're not even first seed in their conference, though, because Pittsburgh Steelers are able to, although Pittsburgh's had their bye, they were able to win this week. But what a game plan by Matt Rule, Joe Brady. Carolina possessed this ball for 38 minutes, leaving Pat Mahomes with only 21 minutes. Carolina had 435 total yards. Kansas City only 397, which is still a lot. But you can see what Carolina's game plan was. We're going to run the football. We're going to pick up first downs. We're going to get the ball out of Tay Bridgewater's hand. We're going to get the ball to McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel and all of these. Robbie Anderson, quick receiving options to force that Kansas City offense to stay on the bench. And it almost worked. It almost worked. It went down to the wire. But Carolina just couldn't get over the hump. But the play, I mean, Carolina had an eight-play drive, put themselves in the field goal range, kind of, I guess you could say, because it wasn't really field goal range. But they had a quick pass to make it a little bit easier, and then Joey Sly tried a 67-yard field goal, which would have set a record in the NFL. And honestly, the dude had enough leg for it. He did, but it just hooked to the right. Somewhat windy there, not too bad. Not anything that would have egregiously swung Sly's kick out of the way. But when you have to adjust for power because it's 67 freaking yards, you're probably going to struggle. So Panthers make that kick. They win this game. People survivor pools are probably screwed up if they did pick the Kansas City Chiefs over the Panthers, but you're going to want to pick the Chiefs every week, so you could probably use them for another week. But the scoring onslaught in this game happened after halftime. A lot of a lot of just adjustments. You had a missed field goal by the Chiefs, then a missed field goal by Carolina, then a touchdown by the Chiefs, pump by Carolina, touchdown Chiefs, touchdown Carolina, touchdown Chiefs, touchdown Carolina. Then the punt, and then the missed field goal. And that was the second half. Just fireworks. And then we had the Lions and the Vikings. NFC North battle between Matt Stafford, who ended up playing in this game, and Kirk Cousins. But rather, should I say Dalvin Cook? Even though Kirk Cousins, 13, 20, 220 yards, three touchdowns, none to Adam Thielen, none to Justin Jefferson, but one to Amir Abdullah. Ha ha ha. What year is this? 2015, and two to Herb Smith. His only two catches, both were on the goal line as well. And then it was Dalvin Cook, 22 carries for 206 yards, two touchdowns, with a 70 yard long. That's insane. He's one of the f- most fun running backs to watch because he's so smooth. He has that Alvin Kamara thing going on to where you don't even know he's running. He just looks so smooth while he's moving. It's almost like he's levitating across the ground. And they're so instinctual with their cuts when they hit the hole. It's really great to watch. And Matt Stafford, as I said, he played in this game. 23 of 32 for 211 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. When he was sacked twice, and on one of those sacks, he got hurt. Don't know the extent of the injury. Nothing's been reported yet. But Chase Daniel came in, and he threw for 94 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and had a couple pretty weird-looking overthrows. But outside of that, for Detroit's offense, couldn't really get much going on the ground. DeAndre Swift broke a couple nice longer runs. He had a 17, was his longest. on Johnson was 4 for 29, which was solid. But then it was Adrian Peterson, 8 for 29, not excellent. And they couldn't get in the end zone on the ground. All their touchdowns came through the air, 
which was the two touchdowns by Matt Stafford, one to TJ Hawkinson, one to Marvin Jones. But it was a lot of little dink and dunk passes to Danny Amendola, who finished 7 for 77 on 10 targets. And that's kind of how they were moving the sticks. But 20 points compared to Minnesota Vikings, 34. Obviously, that's just not enough. Detroit is the lesser team between the two, three and five teams in the NFC North, especially in Minnesota, especially with Dalvin Cook and that offensive line clicking because Detroit isn't necessarily great at stopping the run on defense. It was set up to be a huge Dalvin Cook week, and it was a huge Dalvin Cook week, which isn't great for Adam Thielen owners because he was only 2 of 38 on 5 targets. Justin Jefferson, 3 of 64 on 4 targets. But when you don't need to pass the football because you're establishing the physical dominance of your team on your opponent by running the football, that's what you're going to do. So you have to applaud Minnesota on that front. Then we had the Broncos and the Falcons. The Falcons almost falconed again in this game. Denver scored 21 points in this game to bring the game to a one-score lead from Atlanta. So Atlanta was up big. Let me set that up first. Atlanta was up big. They were kicking the crap out of Denver. At halftime, they were up 20-3. to And then in the fourth quarter, Drew Locke turned it on. The final score of this game was 34-27. to Falcons. And it would have been a sight to see. I was watching it with a buddy, and the first touchdown that drew lock scored he's like oh this is going to be another atlanta falcons meltdown and i was like yeah yeah whatever and they forced a three and out after scoring a touchdown in the fourth quarter late in the fourth quarter within the two minute warning drew lock rushes for a touchdown 10 yard touchdown they get the ball to atlanta and they force a three and out denver gets the ball back but Denver couldn't do anything on that next drive. It was a couple incomplete passes to Jerry Judy. Philip Lindsay dropped the pass, hit him in the face mask. And then Jerry Judy, another incomplete pass. And then it was an illegal shift. Penalty declined on fourth down. And the Broncos end up losing the football game. But wow, that would have been just another meltdown by this Atlanta Falcon team who are now 3-6. and six. They're winning football games now that Dan Quinn's gone. Raheem Morris has them playing really, really hard. And as for the 3-5 and five Denver Broncos, I mean, they went in there and Drew Locke was able to have a good fantasy day. But it just doesn't seem like he's doing much in the beginning parts of these games. It takes them a while to get going. And yes, Denver is a West Coast-ish team. Atlanta, that was a 1 o'clock start. You could point to things like that, maybe. But you would expect Denver to do better with Pat Shermer and some of these offensive weapons they have against a defense like the Atlanta Falcons. But this defense has been playing pretty well. And Denver couldn't really sustain any sort of drives. And their defense couldn't stop the Falcons either. It was Olamade Zacchaeus. I think the first quarter had over 100 yards and a touchdown. Todd Gurley again having his 19 carries for 53 yards and a touchdown. 2.8 yards per carry. Looking gross while doing it. Julio Jones, 7 targets, 5 for 54, 1 touchdown. Brandon Powell had a touchdown. 1 catch, 9 yards, touchdown. Hayden Hurst, 8 targets, 7 for 62. And as for the Denver Broncos, Jerry Judy, 14 targets. 7 for 125 and 1. K.J. Hamler, 10 targets, 6 for 75. Tim Patrick, 9 targets, 4 for 29 and 1. And then Noah Fant, 3 targets, 3 catches, 45 yards. Thought he would have a bigger game, to be honest. Neither neither of these teams have this potent rushing attack. So Drew Locke had to kind of take it upon himself. Matt Ryan had to get a first down with his legs once, which was funny to watch because you don't see that all that often. But Drew Locke had 7 Rushes for 47 yards in that one touchdown. Neither Philip Lindsay or Melvin Gordon looked good running the football either. Now Falcons, who were up to have a top three pick, are now falling out of that. Have three wins. There's a lot of teams with a lot less than that. They're playing really, really hard for uh, this interim head coach. 
I'm wondering what the, the future of that team is going to look like. Who their general manager will be, who their coach will be next year. I'm sure those searches have already started. Probably one reason why they ended up letting Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn out the door. As for Denver, Drew Locks just he doesn't seem all that accurate. Hey, he has a really big arm. I'll give him that. He definitely has a really big arm. His accuracy is a little shoddy. He has a lot of fun young weapons, but they have not put it all together yet. That plus the fact that their defense is not good does not help Vic Fangio whatsoever because Vic Fangio was a defensive head coach. Then we had the Raiders and the Chargers. This was a really fun game to watch. This is the second week in a row. The Los Angeles Chargers thought they won the game on the final play. Because Donald Parnum, after Mike Williams went up on the second to last play, goes up for the ball, looks like he secures it, hits the ground. This is in the end zone on a fade route, and it comes loose. No touchdown to Mike Williams. He gets hurt. He leaves. So they put the backup tight end, Donald Parnum, was like six foot eight. saw him down at the senior bowl. He's like a kid out of Stenson. On the back side with a diamond formation to the other side with Keenan Allen. And they throw it to Parnum. And Parnum comes down with it. It looks like looks like it's six. Looks like it's a touchdown. Would have won the game. But it did hit the ground. Play was overruled. And the Raiders win 31-26 to in this game. Justin Herbert again, who looked like he got hurt in the fourth quarter. Looks scary. Turns out he's fine. 28 of 42, 328 yards, two touchdowns. Kid's an absolute monster. His main running back was Kalen Balaj, who they just signed, who was cut by the Jets earlier this year, who looks like he has less burst than Alfred Morris. But 15 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown isn't terrible. And he also had two catches for 15 yards on three targets. This was Keenan Allen, 11 targets, 9 for 103 and a touchdown. Mike Williams, 7 Targets, 5 for 81. Dropped two touchdowns, though, which is really, really frustrating. Hunter Henry, 7 targets, 4 for 33. And then the Raiders, this was just give the football to every running back, it seemed like. Josh Jacobs had 14 carries for 65 yards and a touchdown. Finally broke his long of 12 yards this season with a 14-yard run. Devontae Booker, 8 for 68 and 1. Henry Ruggs had a carry. Jalen Rashard had a carry. Derek Carr kept the ball a couple different times. And he finished the... Day 13 of 23 for 165 and two touchdowns. Most of the passing game went through Darren Waller, five for 22 and two, or one touchdown, I'm sorry, on 10 targets, and everybody else didn't have more than three targets. Nelson Aguilar hit for a big play, though. Kind of waiting on this Henry Ruggs big play that we've seen a little bit earlier on. We're just not getting it whatsoever. Both teams turn the ball over once. As for our possession, the Chargers dominated time of possession. And they fall on the short end of the stick yet again. And the Rangers are 5-3 and three now, and the Chargers are 2-6. and six. The Chargers just can't find ways to close games out, similar to the New York Giants. Young team can't find ways to close games out. Although I like what the Giants have defensively more than what the Chargers have, since the Chargers are without Joey Bosa, and they are without Derwin James, and they have been without Melvin Ingram. But in Las Vegas... With John Gruden, they're exciting. They're winning on the road. They're 4-1 on the road right now. They're winning big games in prime time. And now, they get to play the Broncos next week. The Chiefs the week after that. So you got two more divisional games. You had three divisional games in a row. You won the first one. Then they get to go to the Falcons and to the Jets. It's going to be a long road trip, two weeks in a row right there. But Vegas could be primed for a playoff position. They are right now. They just got to keep winning these games. And we had the Steelers and the Cowboys, which was one of the bigger surprises of the slate by far. Everyone thought 
the Pittsburgh Steelers were just going to roll the Dallas Cowboys. Nobody knew who the Dallas Cowboys quarterback was going to be until two days ago when Garrett Gilbert was announced the starting quarterback. and He played relatively well considering the fact he was going up against a number one defense. Sorry about that train, everybody. 21 completions on 38 attempts for 243 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. The interception was costly. It was in the red zone. But they were able to move the football against Pittsburgh. They were able to establish the run against Pittsburgh. Garrett Gilbert had a crazy Daniel Jones-like play where he's breaking tackles in the pocket and rushing for 15 yards to pick up a first down. But Tony Pollard, 9 for 57, 6.3 average. Ezekiel Elliott at 18 carries wasn't really efficient with them. 51 yards. Pollard was on a lightning rod for that offense. And C.D. Lamb, seven targets. Michael Gallup, seven targets. Dalton Schultz, seven targets. C.D. was four for 71 and one. Michael Gallup, three for 36. Dalton Schultz, four for 48. This game went very well for Dallas, but they turned the football over twice. C.D. Lamb had a costly fumble, and then there was that thrown interception by Garrett Gilbert and you can't do that if Pittsburgh is going to not show up in Pittsburgh I've said this several times throughout my time podcasting Steelers will do this from time to time the Steelers have pissed me off so many times in the past because I feel like they're in smash matchups sometimes at home sometimes on the road this one was on the road and you pick them in survivor survivor pool and they burn you they don't get up for games against weaker opponents sometimes and I've noticed this over the last 10 years it's really really frustrating and this game they almost fell victim to it and I don't even want to hear it was because Ben Roethlisberger got hurt right before halftime because they weren't doing anything before that either I mean they went into the halftime down 13 to 9 against a Garrett Gilbert led Dallas offense that has been atrocious the last several weeks but Pittsburgh ends up getting I don't want to say lucky but they end up not having to pay for not showing up against another opponent that they should have beaten very handily. And Pittsburgh's defense, they came up with those turnovers. They sacked Gilbert only twice. You'd expect a lot more. I thought Gilbert moved pretty well in the pocket, readjusting his feet, resetting his shoulders, keeping his eyes downfield, and firing the football. Didn't look terrible, the kid. A lot better than Ben DiNucci. A lot better. In a worse spot, too. Roethlisberger threw for 306 yards, three touchdowns, ended up getting hurt in the game, came back in, looked bad with his knee, could barely walk off the field, came back in, and started slinging the football, because that's what Roethlisberger does. And at the end of the game, they just Dallas had no answer for Juju Smith-Schuster on how to stop him. Seven targets, six catches for 93 yards. Deontay Johnson had 10 targets, six for 77. Chase Claypool, 13 targets, eight for 69. Eric Ebron had three catches for 22 yards and a touchdown where he jumped over the Dallas defender towards the end of the game. The go-ahead touchdown score. And then Ray-Ray McLeod, two for 16. James Washington, one catch for 17 yards, one touchdown. Got to see some Mason Rudolph, which is always fun, not really. Pittsburgh Steelers get that W. The only remaining unbeaten team as the Cowboys fall to 2-7. and seven. And the Steelers get to face Joe Burrow and the Bengals next week. And then they're at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then they get the Ravens. And then Washington before they get to play on Sunday Night Football at Buffalo. Which should be a pretty interesting game. 
And then the last game we're going to go over, because Sunday Night Football is going on right now, was the Miami Dolphins upsetting the Arizona Cardinals in the desert, 34-31. to I know they say in the desert there's not a lot of water, but these fish swam. Haha, <laughs> that's a corny joke. Anyways, Tua Tungavailoa, 20 for 28 for 248 yards and two touchdowns. Had some really nice throws in this game. He was sacked three times, but he went pound for pound with Kyler Murray and ended up winning in this game. Something has to be said for that. I know a lot of people were questioning him last week because the Los Angeles Rams just went on a short week, went to the East Coast for that 1 o'clock start and got annihilated. Annihilated. And it was the defense and the special teams that did all the work. But in this game, it was mainly this offense. It was Tua Tagovailoa. It was a little bit of Preston Williams before he got hurt. It looked like he got hurt when Christian Wilkins jumped on him, to be honest. But Miami jumped out to a pretty solid lead. Scored 14 points in the first quarter. Went to halftime, 24-17, modest. And in the third quarter, Arizona scored 14 points. Looked like Arizona was going to win this football game. But Miami rallied back and scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. And Miami's defense held Kyler Murray and Arizona. In the third quarter, Kyler Murray had a long drive that ended with a 12-yard scamper for a touchdown. And Tua had to lead a drive to go and respond to what Kyler Murray did. And he did just that. Tua had a couple plays where he was in the pocket and the protection collapsed. And he scrambled and he picked up a couple yards, made a couple defenders miss, looked solid doing so. And ended up finding Mac Hollins in the back of the end zone for an 11-yard touchdown pass that put the Dolphins into a tie score with Arizona, 31-31. to And then Arizona went on a 10-play drive, had it only 33 yards, went forward on fourth down, and couldn't convert. Tried pounding the ball up the middle with Chase Edmonds, but the Miami front was just too strong. And then Miami let a five-play drive. This was all within the two-minute warning. Got Jason Sanders in field goal range. Kicked the field goal 34-31. to So Tua did everything he could to put himself in a position to win. And it was on the Dolphins' defense, who held up relatively well. Forced a 49-yard Zane Gonzalez field goal, and Zane Gonzalez missed it. And that basically marked the end of the game. As Tua goes on the road and gets a really impressive win over Kyler Murray. Both these teams are now 5-3. and three. Murray was very efficient in this game. 21-26 of 26 for 283 yards, 3 touchdowns. One was to Christian Kirk, who was 5 for 123 on 8 targets. The other was to Darrell Daniels, 1 reception, 21 yards. That was that touchdown. The other one was to Max Williams, another backup tight end. But DeAndre Hopkins only had 3 targets, 3 for 30 in this game. Modest game for DeAndre Hopkins coming out of the bye. I thought it would be more. But Xavier Howard was, I guess you could say, all over him because he was called for several penalties in this game, a lot of them being some of those penalties that I thought were a little bit ticky-tacky. The one on the sidelines where he put both of his hands and kind of rode DeAndre out of bounds, I could see that maybe a little bit. But it seemed like a lot of calls were going against Xavier Howard. But for the most part, looks like he did a pretty good job on DeAndre Hopkins here. Kyler Murray kept the ball several times, 11 carries for over 100 yards in this game, had that one touchdown that put the Arizona Cardinals up. Good for Miami to rally back. And as for Miami's rushing attack, Jordan Howard had 10 carries for 19 yards at a touchdown. Ew. Salvin Ahmad, 7 carries for 38 yards. Tua had 7 for 35. Patrick Laird had 1 for negative 1. So they're waiting for Matt Breida and Miles Gaskin to come back, essentially. And Preston Williams 
got hurt in this game. He had four catches on five targets for 60 yards and that one touchdown. It looked like he got hurt celebrating. Well, it wasn't really necessarily him celebrating, but one of his teammates jumped on his back. Then after that, he was limping a little bit, and it seems to be some kind of foot or ankle injury. Hopefully, he's okay. Devontae Parker, six catches, 64 yards, seven targets. Jakeem Grant, who's a smaller lightning rod type of player who's incredibly electrifying and fast, five targets, four for 35. Miami, though, they're vying for a wild card spot in the AFC, and nobody thought they would be. Got to give a lot of credit to Brian Flores for being a kind of coach to stabilize that franchise with a lack of talent and still, I guess you could say, a Patriot-type mentality there and bring winning football to South Beach because it seems like they have a lot of great things going on under Brian Flores. All right, everybody, that was Week 9's edition of Falado on Football. Please rate, subscribe, review to this channel, this radio platform, this Big Blue View outlet, and please visit our website, bigblueview.com. Go to our Twitter, Big Blue View. Follow me on Twitter, at Nick Falato, and please have a lovely day. Take care, everyone. Bye.